This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Provoki, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Oliver Nye has been fishing since he was a kid. A self-taught angler from Southern California, he learned the values of commitment and dedication at an early age. Since then, Oliver has become a familiar face in the bass scene and is renowned for catching monster fish. In this episode of Anchored, he and I sit down to discuss how he targets big fish, his thoughts on patterning, and how he absolutely schooled me on the water while filming for Meat Eater's new YouTube series, Das Boat. Our episode is coming out next week, so be sure to tune in at the Meat Eater channel on YouTube. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you very much for being willing to meet with me this morning, a mare, um, like five hours after we went to bed last night. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, bright and early. Well, listen, we've just spent the last few days together fishing, mm-hmm. so I feel like I've already picked your brain about all these different topics, but I just want to give my audience really a, an insight into your life, if I may. Absolutely. I might regret this, but... We'll see. <laughs> just pour yourself another cup of shitty coffee. <laughs> so let's just start with where we start everybody on the show. And that's simply where you were born and raised. Let's see. I was born in Tacoma, Washington, but grew up in the LA area since I was five. Now, one of the downsides to spending a few days of fishing with somebody is you, you get to know a lot about them and you don't know what's what you're allowed to talk about and what you're not allowed to talk about. But I'm going to just take a gamble and, and hope that I'm allowed to talk about this. So your mom raised you on her own? Yes. So a single mom? Thousand percent. I'm making a horrible assumption, but was she a, is she a fisherman? Absolutely not. But when I started fishing, she was down to catch bluegill on the hand line. 
Okay, so how did it start, though? Who got you into it? Nobody, really. Uh, kind of like a lot of things, I just stumbled into it and found a fascination with it and just rolled with it. So we were literally at a park with the whole extended family on like a holiday weekend. It was super busy. Kind of reminds me of that same lake that, that I go to on like a Easter Sunday. The place is wild. Like there's thousands of people around this lake. Yeah. And I was just being a bored kid walking the shoreline, trying to catch things in the tulies and the vegetation, little frogs and such, just trying to entertain myself. And I came across a, a pile of tangled fishing line. And in that trash, um, had a couple of those snelled eagle claw bait holder hook leaders in it. So I was able to salvage, I don't know, like 20 inches of it or something. Found myself a sweet little stick. I knew I could f uh, walk over to the incoming creek and flip over some rocks and probably find some worms because that's kind of what I did as a kid was just go find and catch weird things. Yeah. And filled my little red party cup with some worms and some bait and walked my little 10-year-old self over to the fishing pier because, you know, logically, I was like, oh, people are fishing there. There must be fish. And I had a little entourage of little cousins and such following me and walked all the way out to the end of the pier. I sat down, dangling my feet and you know, pin one of those worms on one of those rusty hooks and dropped it over the side, not really anticipating actually catching anything. Yeah. Like, really, I was seriously just bored out of my mind. And uh, after about five minutes that, my entourage had enough and they left. And I was like, yeah, whatever, I'm just going to hang out here. And, you know, as I'm like daydreaming into nothingness, I actually feel that telltale tap, tap. And I freaked out and, like, out of it, just instinct, I guess, I tried to, like, yank back. <laughs> And that, uh, that line wasn't exactly the best condition. Oh, so broke. I actually broke it off. And uh, yeah, I lost that fish. And I'm pretty sure now it was a bluegill or a red ear sunfish. But at the time, I didn't know what it was. I just know there's something alive on the end of that line. And I was instantly fascinated. Well, what did your mom, I mean, she drove you around? After that uh, experience, I convinced her to take me back the following weekend. Because I believe that was like a Sunday. And she took me to Kmart and bought me a $14.99 spin cast combo. Started off blue, but I remember the sun fading it to like this weird purple color. And spent the entire week researching as much as I could about fishing after school. Because I'd spent a lot of time in the library. It was everything from the encyclopedias to mostly fly fishing books. Really? Yeah. So I actually had quite an influence from fly fishing culture early on. Because that was all that was really there. Like it was 80% fly fishing. In the library. Media. Correct. See, and I also learned from the library and had the exact opposite experience. And that's why I know the mechanics of mm. a bait casting girl. Because I was like, well, I'll take what I can get. I'm going to learn all this. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. So, cool. you know, terms like matching the hatch like, yeah. stuck out to me immediately. Like that made logical sense. Did it help your fishing? It still helps my yeah. fishing. You saw it the other day. I did. Can we just jump right into what you do right now? I travel to wherever I need to travel in search of the next challenge. And the most challenging thing for me usually is the biggest of whatever you want to talk about. So I started my journey targeting big largemouth bass. Last few years, it's been big smallmouth bass. And intermittently, it's been big crappie, uh, big whatever. Big Murray Cod earlier this year. But you still seem to have a, your focus on those sorts of, you know, bass 
even the Murray Cod's kind of like a big bass. You're interested in the barramundi in Australia. Right. But it's not like you're out there chasing big bonefish and big tarpon and big salmon. Even though you're a well-rounded angler, it feels like you really love bass. I mean, is that, am I just looking at your marketing and making an, an assumption? Um, maybe a little bit of both. I mm-hmm. mean, I do have a special place in my heart for bass fishing. It's what I knew most of my life, or all of my fishing life, really. But I do enjoy catching everything else. But I also have the challenge of actually making what I'm doing relatable to my existing audience while trying to reach new audiences. And so what do you do? Like for people who have never heard of you before in, in the fly fishing world, on, you know, say in Australia, okay. what's your shtick? Are you a YouTube star? What do you, I mean, I know that you're obviously a pro. I know what you do and I know you're a pro and you teach people, but can you just summarize what your career is right now? Well, I, I honestly get a little offended when people start calling me a YouTuber. I know, it's super offensive. It's like saying that you're, you make your living off of Instagram. It's this weird dynamic of people trying to label everybody. I don't really think that's necessary. And we do plenty on all those platforms, especially YouTube the last couple of years. But I don't think it's fair to like pigeonhole somebody and be like, oh, you're a YouTuber. It's like, can I just be me and like I do things on YouTube? Do people say that in fishing? I mean, it's one thing when you see like the makeup gurus, he or she is a YouTuber, but they literally, that is their career. I mean, and some of these people are making like millions of dollars. Absolutely. And it's not a knock on people that consider themselves YouTubers, but in fishing, are there YouTubers? Oh yeah. Really? So what would you define as a YouTuber? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't define anybody. Right. (laughs) Touche. Touche. Yes. A little hypocritical. (laughs) Yeah. But we were doing this documentation of the chase of big bass streams before we really realized that platform was what it is now. So what is Big Bass Dreams? So Big Bass Dreams is a movement that I founded based on content. So it's not an apparel company. It's not a soft goods company. It's not this, that, and the third. It's, it's really built on a foundation of a body of work and trying to capture all like that special stuff that people wouldn't believe otherwise. I mean, that's literally how this whole video thing started for me because I got to experience some really rad things while fishing, often solo because nobody was down to be out there all day, every day in whatever elements for two weeks straight. And all of a sudden I'd see the biggest bass of my life trying to eat the biggest lure that I own and, you know, lose it, miss it, you name it, like just just wild things. I try to share those experiences with my friends. Right. And they would literally mock me and laugh me and call bullshit. And these are my friends doing this, mind you, let alone strangers. Like, I can't even imagine what some of these people, like in this social media age, have to like go through as far as criticism. But I, I needed to actually record and document these things just to, number one, to spite them, be like, oh yeah, well, watch this. <laughs> yeah. And before you knew it, uh, I had a amassed a nice little, you know, library of content. And at some point my friends were like, dude, you need to do something with this stuff. Like people need to see this. And I was like, ah, man, I don't know. Cause at the end of the day, I'm a fisherman, just like all of us are. And the things that we learn are often hard learned through a lot of sacrifice and, and failure, to be honest. So it's kind of tough for me, especially early on to like relinquish that hard-earned info because like knowledge is power especially in fishing there's so many like dynamics at play and so many factors it is an ever-changing puzzle 
that's what keeps it fresh. Things change, those fish change, they get conditioned, they become harder to catch, and it just keeps that challenge going. The chase never ends. Let's talk about that. Fishing behind you or fishing with you mm-hmm. was really cool for me because I basically fly fished almost the entire time, and you were fishing a baitcaster. And it was really cool to watch you and be like, okay, why is he casting there? When he did that hook set, why was it like that? Why is he choosing that plastic over that one? You know, why is he confident there? I've got so many questions for you, and I was wondering if we could kind of walk down some of those paths. Absolutely. So let's uh, <coughs> let's set up the scenario real quick. Mm-hmm. It's way post-spawn as far as where these fish are in their spawning cycle. Because we're currently, just to set, let me set the stage for people. We're currently in Orlando. It's super early right now. We're here for ICAST. We were just fishing together on Lake Okeechobee for a couple days, but that's actually not why we're here. We were actually filming for the Meat Eater DOS Boat series, which is not live yet as we're sitting here now, but it's going to be by the time that this uh, podcast episode comes out. And it was really cool to be teamed up with you. Thank you. It was really cool to be teamed up with you. It was super fun, but you definitely kicked ass out there. And like the first day was tough because you're right. It was like you're saying, it's post-spawn. It's hot. Humid. It's, oh my no God. No wind. The rain's coming. We've got our camera guys with us. And we both were very discouraged at the end of the day, which was super cool because we're able to go. I mean, you're like over at the pool at the Airbnb, like playing around, trying to figure out what you need to do. I'm tying weed guards on the flies. I'm confident with, I mean, we really got to make adjustments and go back out. And in the morning I was thinking to myself, oh, this poor guy, he's about to get outfished by a fly. Cause that's the like first the fish was, the, well, the first fish was on the fly. So I just, you right. know, right. I just assumed maybe it could happen. That was an amazing cast, by the way. Thank you. I watched the whole thing happen. But then <laughs> literally the next cast, you're like, Oh, just kidding. There's one. Two casts later. There's one. Five casts. Oh, there's one. Like, it was just ridiculous. Well, one thing that people are aware of that follow what I do already, kind of see that I operate best with a little chip on my shoulder. I saw that. And Team Fly <laughs> was busting my balls. Like, is like... That's for people listening, I am not Team Fly, but the rest of, like, <laughs> even the cameramen are all fly fishermen. They're like, how's it feel to be outfished by a fly? And I was like, don't don't get him angry because I know what's going to happen. He's going to school me, which you did. Well, I, I grew up playing basketball and I'm like a little undersized dude. So I'm used to like, you know, people mouthing off to me and be like, oh, okay. Or like not getting picked because like the way I look. But what were you looking for? Like that was a really tough fishing scenario. So instead of fishing around like weirs and logs and stuff, I mean, we had- We had none of that. Grass. It was a lot of shallow grass. Yes. I mean, the whole lake was like three feet deep. Right. We fished from getting stuck. Mm. So probably like seven, eight inches of water to like max three feet. So what were you looking for? Really, really subtle things. And it might've like seemed random what I was doing, especially with the speed and my cast placements and such. But I was learning from our failure from the day before and not capitalizing on the very few opportunities that we got. But I remember those experiences and I made uh, conscious adjustments because really the bass fishing stuff is just like a continuing series of adjustments and trying to match the hatch, for instance, and match what those fish are feeding on. What we saw was a really, really small bait and on the other side of it, really big bluegill. All right. So those adjustments you saw me making at the pool accounted for both those things that we experienced. And then as we were going too fast for you to really properly place your fly, we had to efficiently cover water to locate them. And I had to make enough casts on every single different angle from the outside of the grass edge into the grass edge alongside the grass edge 
next to the isolated tule clumps, next to the lily pads. And really the only way to figure out how to catch them efficiently is by trying everything and eliminating those variables through you know the process of elimination. Yeah. There's no shortcut to that. Unless you, you're one of those guys that likes to rely on other people's info, which I don't know if you guys noticed, like we went oh, to the I tackle noticed. shop, like don't tell me, I don't really care. You're like, care. headphones on, I don't want to hear yeah. what you do. Because like, honestly, and I hate to say it this way, but like until I see someone catching bigger fish or the right class of fish, I kind of don't really care about your info so for you, the most part. So you don't think it's a matter of luck whether or not you catch big ones. You think that There's catching big ones- There's always a matter ones, of chance involved. Sure. But- I would not call it luck. It's, so what would you do to target a bigger fish? I mean, is, is it as simple as bigger bait equals bigger fish? Location is the number one thing. Really? So what would you look well, for? Well, if you're not in, fishing where big fish live, you're not going to catch them. Sure, but what are you looking for when, you, when you're when you in a structureless zone? <sighs> well, see, this is a new fishery for me. I've never fished in Florida before, but I know it can be mostly a shallow fishery. So deep is relative. So because we were in like that seven to 36 inches of water, deep could have been like four feet. You know, at home, deep could be 20, 30, 40 feet because we're in 80, 100, 120 feet of water. But how can you tell if it's four feet? Are you looking at certain reeds? I can see the color change on the brakes. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually quite prominent once you know what you're looking for. It's easy to spot. So remember how Joey kept telling us, hey, we should move up like shallower? It's because I was exploring that outside edge. And going through the process of elimination, every time we made one of those drifts, did you notice like we were drifting through a different zone mm-hmm. and we're casting at different clumps of grass. And you're trying to cast to the edge of the grass or were you trying to, la- or sometimes else, you landed it right in the middle. That's the thing. You don't know where they're going to be positioned at any given time. So you have to try it all. Like did Joey was saying like, oh, your bigger bites are probably going to come like right in the heart of those grass beds. We didn't get a single big one to eat in that stuff. It was no. all on the edges Edge, or yeah. the openings. So it had changed, obviously, since Joey was on whatever bite he was on. So that just goes to show you can't really fish the past, even yesterday or even earlier in the day. Everything's changing. Those fish are changing. You have to keep loose and just keep trying different things. So were we patterning? In the bass world, you guys use that word a lot, patterning. I I mean, you had a giant sea of grass, right? Yeah. So if I can actually maximize our efficiency by figuring out, oh, there's a good population of fish that are sitting on the lee side or the wind side of these grass beds. We can just focus on those sides and duplicate it. And every little like weed clump we'd go up to, instead of fishing all the way around and going through all of that process of elimination again and trying all those different angles, you just make that one money cast on each spot. And if it's there, it's going to eat it. And then you move on you just stay super efficient. You don't waste time. Right. Yeah. I noticed that. So you were moving really fast for every one cast I'm making, you're making like three and you're covering, you're casting farther. So you're covering more water. And I mean, it really was, you were go, go, go. Right. And, uh, and really focus. So talk to me about patterning because a lot of people listening to this right now have never even heard of that apart from, you know, sewing a dress. What is patterning? All right. So if, uh, from my limited knowledge of river or stream or current fishing, right, it's like you come up to a river and you're trying to figure out, and it's strange because I feel like these fish all get on the similar page somehow. They all just kind of, they're all affected by those outside conditions and it pushes a good population of the fish to kind of do the same thing and react the same way. So if you can figure out if they're like on the front side of a boulder in that eddy or on the back side of the boulder or actually in the current, you can still, you can do the same exact thing and pattern them 
kind of like we saw in that Murray Cod stuff that I was doing in a river. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was doing. But if it changes every day, is it even, is it still patterning or is it, that just technically just going well, fishing? Those windows last. They last for different periods. Okay. So sometimes a pattern will hold. And for like the tournament guys, they're hoping they find patterns that hold for multiple days. Right. Because then they can duplicate that over the course of three, four, five day events. What will offset a, a pattern? Change. Because I felt you a couple times. Weather you, is you, huge. You were like, this is, it's, this is it. You're the one who was like, let's fish in the evening rather than the morning. And the weather changed and you said it's going to happen and it yeah. did. So talk to me about how that works. Well, I, I get these gut feelings, but it just it doesn't come from thin air. It comes from experience. So I can feel a change in the air. I could see the incoming storm front, right? The, the one that pushed us off on day one. I was like, okay, well, I know the barometric pressure is going to drop. Wind's going to pick up. That tends to increase our odds of getting a bite from the right fish. And boom, Joey hooked and lost a big one out of the camera boat. And that was one of our opportunities there. Then we had to go. So, Because that right, we got just down for it. Right. Weather is a huge factor. Does it affect what they're eating? Is that why? Um. I really feel like it affects their aggression level. Some people have theories of like the wind and such, you know, oxygenating the water. But for me, I feel like the most important factor is it increases our stealth level. Now you have uh, background noise, right? Instead of like every time you hit the trolling motor when it's dead calm or drop something in the boat or like everything's amplified when it's quiet and Mm -hmm. clear. And people like fishing in that because they don't have to worry about like boat control and maneuverability. But I embrace the wind. And even rain. Yeah, you were stoked. It started getting windy, and I was like, no. And you right. said, yes. And I was like, yes, because we're going to get bites. Yeah, it, it, it did yeah. happen, yeah. It breaks, breaks down light penetration or it reduces light penetration. And frankly, those fish have a harder time realizing the gig is up. That's when things with blades start working really well, and they just can't make out. Like, hey, look, there's a weird 17-foot boat with this awesome mural on it with two weird people throwing <laughs> fake things at my face. What do you think of that boat? My goodness. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was a, what a nightmare for me to cast out of. But, <laughs> uh, and I mean, honestly, like we're in gator infested water and we're on plane and we're obviously bouncing a bit. Actually, it, ro- it, it drove pretty smooth. Hole. It did actually. After we made a couple adjustments on the, uh, yeah. on the trim and uh, weight distribution. <laughs> yes. But you could literally see, this is what I was saying to you a couple days ago. You know when you sit on a waterbed, you can see all the water push the plastic up and it looks like you could literally pop it with your finger. Yeah, you could see waves. That's what the bottom of the boat looked like. <laughs> it was crazy under our feet. And all I'm thinking to myself is every single time that this boat bangs, those screws loosen just a little bit. Right. Anyway. We lived to tell the story. Yeah, it was a great boat. But, you know, that's kind of the cool thing about that whole Das Boat project is a good angler should never feel handicapped by the fishing platform. I mean, it can be to a degree, especially with like your style of fishing, but it was really never an excuse. Well, and it was solved with a wet towel. No, I, 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 I was watching how resourceful you were being because of the lack of resources. Right. And it's a great trait that I think more people could benefit from. Because people jump into like super fancy bass boats and like trolling motors that like follow contours and this and that. Because it's easy. It's a shortcut. Everybody wants a shortcut. What's the advantage? Is there an advantage to having one of those streamlined shiny boats or is it just part of the culture? No, there really is. So in a a tournament setting, because you've done tournaments. You won a hundred grand in a tournament, you said. I did. So you know what you're talking about, obviously. Uh, That's arguable. In a tournament setting. (laughs)
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In a tournament setting, why do you need to have the flash boat? Well, it's really about efficiency. Okay. okay. You saw how big Lake Okeechobee was, for example, right? Yes. That's a very popular and historic tournament fishing lake. Right. So you'll blast off from, let's say, Roland Martin Marina where we, let, where we fish. But if your game plan and your pattern you found was on the opposite side of the lake and you had a fish out of our 40 horsepower tin can versus Joey that's got a 225 Mercury on a 20 foot Ranger. He's literally going like anywhere from 60 to 80 miles an hour on the, on the water versus our 20 to 30. So is it that in a tournament you can beat the angler to the spot? Well, every cast you can get is an advantage. I, I definitely learned that. Right? That was really interesting. Yeah. So it's literally a maximum. I mean, it's so, it's so logical. I feel like an idiot saying that cause it's obviously logical, but just how many extra casts you got was amazing to me. Oh, I think I casted you over the course of two days by a few thousand. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And you didn't get tired. Like at some point I was like, I'm actually really tired. You were working so hard. Yeah. It was crazy. And I mean, there's ways to make it not be so hard. Just for people listening who are fly fishing, it's, you know, usually what I would do is I would have some line on the water, I'd pick it up, I'd water load, I'd shoot on my back cast, and I'd shoot forward right away. That would be it. Problem is, is that in the grass like that, you can't have your line, it's hard to water load. You can do it, but it's hard, and then your fly sometimes catches, even though it's got a weed guard, and then we had wind. So every time that I tried to shoot into my back cast, the wind would catch me and be like, yeah, no. So it made me have to now suddenly false cast twice. You know what I mean? Right. And if I wanted a really far cast, maybe maybe three times. So I, in that time, have just watched you do three casts. Absolutely. And you're stripping it back so freaking fast, or you're reeling it back so fast. Yeah. Those are the, all the advantages, and that extends into the boats we use, the rods we fish, the, the reels that are paired with them. I mean, it's really, literally a game of efficiency. Like going back to that tournament I won this past fall, the margin of victory was literally 0.01 hundredths of a pound. Are you serious? Absolutely. And you know, we're all on time, like, like constraints, so you can't be late. It's really a, a whole culmination of decision-making in yeah. the fishing tournament or just fishing in general. It, it's, you know, what, which bait am I going to pick? What part of the lake am I going to fish? It's, it's an endless series of decisions. Why do you think trout fishing, why do you think that they, we don't have that sort of competition culture? Well, I don't know too many fisheries that would support a field of 50 to 300 people. That's right. a challenge right there. Is that how many people enter a tournament? 
yeah, depending on you know what level of participation, but across country, it's it's pretty common to see both fields of two to three hundred. Okay, which is you, a lot of people. Well, you said the entry fee wasn't that much. What well, did it cost you to enter that one? Once again, there's there's thousands of tournaments for sure. But in that situation, that was a hundred eighty dollar tournament for two so, days. Yeah, why wouldn't you join the tournament? And well, that means more people. That's right? Still a lot of money for a lot of people. I mean, that was a lot of money to me for. I mean, it still is. You could do a lot with one hundred eighty dollars. That's true. So uh, you know, I I battled through like thinking I was gonna make money through the tournament game early in my fishing career. Right. Right. Because that back then that was all that was available. The guys that fish for a living were all tournament pros. So true. Yeah. None of this stuff that we're doing here really existed. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic in the bass fishing game, especially like that whole tournament culture is totally different than the trophy fishing culture. So have you veered away from the tournament culture? Or were you ever really that immersed into it after you realized? I was locally, but you know, I kind of burned out on it. Yeah. Unfortunately, anytime you get money involved in something, money and ego brings out a lot of ugly yeah. in the fishing game. And I've seen it in other places too, like even like the inshore saltwater stuff. Guys that are, you know, trying to make a living by running chartering services and such. They get into it with each other because money is involved. And yeah. it's a tough line to walk, right? Because people are always going to try to make a living through this passion that we all share. So I've actually kind of stepped away from that world because it kind of invites like that negative tone sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, frankly, it bums me out. And that's why, you know, you see in the content, I'll go from one extreme of, chasing one of the biggest freshwater fish in the world or really hard to fool musky or a trophy largemouth to like, hey, we're crappie fishing today or yellow perch fishing today and remind myself as well as everybody watching, like, like guys, we should be doing this for the right reasons first and foremost. Yeah. And if you're not having fun... What's the point? What is the point? But you've really marketed yourself with big fish. I mean, even Big Bass Dreams is right. big fish. Do you ever feel like you've pigeonholed yourself into a brand that maybe is not, you know, you can't sustain it? Well, I mean, I'm going on year five or six. I can't even remember now. Uh, and things are still continuing to get better and increase. So at this point, I, I'm fully confident I can sustain it because I put in the work. I've made the sacrifices. I put in the time. I put on a lot of time on the water. And that's what people don't see in these little, you know, Instagram clips, even 20-minute YouTube videos. You don't see the decades of, of commitment I put into something that I love doing. So let's talk about catching big fish. Okay. So whether it's bass or Murray cod, I've got many questions for you. Okay. Okay. So I go to fish for Murray cod. Do I choose a big bait or a small bait, speed, structure like just talk me through it what do i do and i'm very genuinely asking you right now because Mm -hmm. when i get back to oz i'm going to go fishing for them yeah well one of the things that i've learned is my percentages of engaging not always catching but engaging big fish is by upsizing my lure presentation okay do that's number one it's almost like size is its own action and drawing component all by itself because now you're really appealing to a whole different class of fish. You know, fish are all pretty aggressive when they're young and stuff, so you're always going to get that odd little fish that eats a really big bait, but for the most part, you're eliminating those smaller bites. But more importantly, you're getting these bigger fish to engage with that lure, whether that's just following the lure out of whatever they live in, in your case, snags, or hopefully whether they're biting it, 
and you're catching them. But that's an incredible fish finding tool in itself. And it doesn't have to be a big bait or a swim bait per se. It could be a giant fly or whatever it is. Like the bluefin tuna fishing stuff we did, we started fishing our local big flying fish instead of like importing the the East Coast Florida ones because they're like a third of the size. Right. And all of a sudden, boom, like 250, 300 pound tuna were becoming much more common and prevalent. So like that's been a really common denominator across my trophy fishing. But this is where I get lost. So tuna is simple. I mean, they're busting bait. It's easy for me to get a fly out and know what I need to make the fly do. I get stuck with the fish that are predators like even tarpon and bass. When they're on and following, I don't know if I should speed up because bait fish don't stop. I mean, you get and chased, you well, run. We talked about that on the water, right? I know. Right? I want to talk about it now. So do you stall? Do you speed up? What do you do? So just like you said, you, I put myself in the shoes of the bait fish. How would I be reacting if something big and ugly was trying to freaking eat me? And actually... You, you hear people give you advice when it comes to bears and mountain lions and whatever. Don't run. <laughs> right. Because you're going to trigger yeah. a predatory response to pounce on you. And that's exactly what we want these fish to do. So you do want to run. You want to create a sense of urgency and make that fish make a bad decision in that split second. Especially as you're getting closer to the boat or shoreline or whatever and you're running out of room. If you stop, they kind of just lose interest, typically. There are times when dead sticking is what we call it. What's that? That's stopping? That's like dead, literally dead, dead doing sticking. nothing okay. is how you trigger them. But if you're talking percentages wise, I've always done better speeding up. When would be a situation when you stopped it? If they smack it? Like, do you get a lot of fish smacking flies first before they eat them? Um, there are times like, and it's really, that's when like the art of angling comes in and experience comes in. Right? I've tried all these different things when these giant fish are coming up trying to like engage with my lure. And I've tried all of it. I've, I've tried the dead sick and stuff and they almost always just like veer off like, oh, never mind. It's not real. It's like this, this thing was actually like the real deal. Like I thought it was, it would keep going. But there are occasions like when I know a fish lives on a spot, right? Remember, it goes back to the first puzzle piece, location. Mm-hmm. If I know that big bass is in that hole in that grass, I'm okay with staying there and trying to figure out how to get that thing to open its mouth on my hook. But if you don't know it's there, you just keep on rolling. And for the most part, like the last couple of days, we didn't know if they were there or not. It's a multitude of decision-making and everybody wants to ask me like, how do I catch bigger fish? How do you catch bigger fish? You just got to go out there with the mindset of only wanting to catch the biggest fish in a system and being okay with failing because the reality of it is there's only one of those. Yeah. Right. And some of these systems are huge. I've got a million more questions for you. We're obviously limited. We're at the show. It's always limited with time. But we will definitely do a follow-up. I'd love to do a follow-up. You're coming to Australia in in November. Hopefully, yes. So I'd love to pick your brain uh, a little bit more, if that's okay. Absolutely. Is there any, I mean, this is a short episode, I know. Sorry for people listening. Um, Is there anything in particular that you wanted to add while I've got you here? Another 30 minutes worth, but... We don't have no time. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll meet again in November and we'll do a, we'll do a proper start to finish. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, for your existing audience and hopefully some new audience that has tuned in from, from my platforms, it's just keep your minds open, be open to new experiences and new perspectives and also in fishing, mind you, because it's going to make you just better overall. 
and you're going to be able to apply things you've learned from someone else's experiences potentially and increase your odds of success, especially when it comes to trying to catch the biggest fish of your life. I learned some things from you. Like, from me? Oh, yeah. From fly fishing? For sure. What'd you learn? <laughs> that I don't want to be fly fishing in Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to be fly fishing in Orlando either. I'm just kidding. No, I picked up the bait caster and I was like, oh, yeah, man, here we go. But I do see the, the windows of opportunity where like that would dominate. Especially like when it's flat calm and it takes a really finessey Picking approach. apart a shoreline, honestly, like if you put me on a lake and, and we went around that lake on the, in the same speed, right? Yeah. And, and we were working it strategically and not being in a hurry just to get to random spots, it can do really well. And honestly, you can, you can cast a fly over top of crazy shallow lily pads because you just don't need the same weight, right? I know totally. that on a, bait ca- yeah, I know on a bait caster, you can cast a lightweight, but you can cast a really lightweight fly and be able to fish it effectively. And like the other thing is, like I love casting over top of branches and lily pads. And then, mm. you know, you strip slow and let it kind of f- crawl and fall off into these tiny, like two inch little gaps and yep. you can just be the precision. Yeah. But in that scenario, it just wasn't, Ideal for that. No, and then obviously the biggest advantage is being able to immediately pick up and recast, not having to reel in, right? You can totally. just and represent and be able to switch, you know, change a direction. I would say Lake Okeechobee is definitely not the, I, I wouldn't do, I don't know if I'd fly fish it again. I would argue that there would be opportunities there, just not the last couple of days. No, there are opportunities, but I didn't feel the most efficient. Hmm. I did, did I look the most efficient? Definitely not. No. Exactly. And you know, I'm an angler first. Right. And I would have I would have been fishing plastics. Right. Yeah. But man, much props to you for sticking <laughs> true to your craft. It was fun. Yeah. It was fun. But we'll do a part we will definitely do a part two. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Go get some more co- go get some good coffee. This coffee is horrible. Oh my goodness. I'll bring some back for you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> okay, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening. 